All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number one. And of course, if you've been with us, you know that we are traveling through the book of Luke, uh, specifically during this Christmas season. Uh, we're in a series called Celebrating Christ, and we're looking at the stories, the Christmas story and the events that led up to uh, the birth of Christ. Last Sunday night, we started in the book of Luke, not necessarily in the Christmas story, but looked at the first four verses in an introductory uh, sermon on the gospel according to Luke. And then, of course, this morning, we started in verse uh, number 5, and we went through uh, verse 25. And uh, tonight, we're picking up right there where we left off in verse number 26. This morning, we saw the angelic birth announcement of John the Baptist. And tonight, we're going to meet Mary for the first time and see the angelic birth announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary, uh, of course, is a... Uh, major character in the Bible. She's the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she is a woman that should be uh, respected and honored and and admired. Uh, However, Mary uh, has, in some circles, especially among uh, the Roman Catholic Church, has been uh, put into a position that she does not belong in, and uh, she's been given a position uh, that, that she shouldn't be given. So as we, as we begin tonight, I'd like to begin, and we're going we're gonna to look at Mary and study Mary tonight. And I want to give you three thoughts in regards to Mary, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. The first thing I want you to notice is Mary's status as a person. Here we see uh, Mary and her status. If you look at verse 26, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, remember this is right where we left off with uh, this morning. In verse 26, the Bible says this, and in the sixth month, and that phrase, the sixth month, is a reference to the sixth month, uh, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because remember, uh, the, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and told him that his wife would give birth, even though they were both well stricken in years. Now we fast forward between verses 25 and 26, six months later, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant, and the Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And before the Lord Jesus Christ, the city of Nazareth was a, an obscure uh, place. I mean, it still is an obscure place, but it, it was a, 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 a city that was not known. As far as people know, there's no real records or, or histori- uh, historical records of Nazareth or anything happening in Nazareth. Uh, but of course, Jesus was born from there. And Jesus uh, was known all throughout the New Testament. He's known as Jesus of Nazareth. And he, of course, uh, is, is what made that place famous. But we know that Jesus was from Nazareth because Mary was from Nazareth. And here the Bible says that the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Notice verse 27, to a virgin espoused to a man. I want you to understand what's going on here. And I'm not going to take the time to explain all of the uh, details about uh, the marriage process in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. But what you need to understand is that Mary and Joseph at this point were contractually married. They were married in a legal sense. They had gone through everything that needed to happen for them to be considered legally married. That's why the Bible says there that she was espoused. We get that word espoused. Uh, That's the same word, obviously, when you talk about your 
married partner as being your spouse. She was contractually married. Uh, they were married. However, the Bible says that she, he, that that uh, that Gabriel came to a virgin spouse. And what we understand from this is that though Joseph and Mary were contractually married, they had not yet consummated the marriage. They had not came together physically. And of course, the Bible teaches that in order to be married in the eyes of the Lord, uh, there has to, of course, be a covenant that's made, vows that are given. There needs to be a contract or some sort of legal aspect in regards to the culture and time for which you live. And then there needs to be a consummating of the marriage. So here, Joseph and Mary have been married contractually, but they've not yet consummated the marriage. And, And that seems maybe a little odd to us, but in the Bible times, it was a very common occurrence where these things were done in phases and they took time. Today, in our uh, culture, people get married and it all happens in, in one day. They, they have the ceremony, the vows, sign the contract, and they consummate the marriage all in the same day. But in, in the Bible times, this would take uh, a period of time. So here we have them married. And I want you to understand, they're not simply engaged. They're actually married. In fact, uh, and I'm not preaching about this, but if we go to the passage in Matthew that deals with Joseph, you'll find that when he finds that she's with child before this has been explained to him uh, by uh, God, he is he's contemplating uh, divorce. And again, uh, in this situation, God would allow for someone to divorce if they had not consummated uh, the marriage. So that's not that doesn't apply to. 99.9999% of you, all right? So don't try to fit yourself in with the Virgin Mary. You're, um, you know, you, if somebody comes to me and says, uh, I'd like to divorce my husband just like, uh, you know, just like uh, Joseph and Mary, the question I'm going to ask is, are you a virgin? Uh, because she was a virgin. Uh, she had not yet, they had not yet consummated the marriage. So it says, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And notice the emphasis again, the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in verse 28, I want you to notice what the Bible says about this young lady, Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, notice how he refers to her. He says, Thou art highly favored. The word favored means to be preferred, to be uh, recommended. And here he says, You're Highly favored, meaning you're highly preferred, and I would say so, since she was chosen to give birth to the Son of God, that she was highly favored. Notice, the Lord is with thee. This is what Gabriel says. He says, blessed art thou. He says, blessed art thou among women. So, I want you to understand this. When we consider the status of Mary, of who Mary was, she was highly favored and blessed of God, no doubt about it. I mean, Mary uh, had to have been a, a, a wonderful believer, a wonderful person to be chosen by God to not only give birth to his son, but to raise his son along with Joseph. These individuals like Zacharias, like Elizabeth, and we learned this morning, they had to have been wonderful believers, wonderful followers of, of, of God, and they were chosen and they were blessed as a as a result. And in fact, we're going to, uh, in, in the next couple of weeks, as we continue to work our way through this passage, we're going to come to a passage of scripture where Mary actually uh, uh, praises the Lord and worships the Lord, and we'll hear 
her own words of worship and prayer and praise to God. And, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit and, and, and we'll see how she quotes a lot of the Old Testament in her prayer. So this is a young lady that was uh, not only right with God, but she knew the Bible and she loved the Lord and, and she was highly favored and blessed. And I think that we should have nothing but respect and honor and, and admiration for a young lady like Mary. Mary was highly favored and blessed of the Lord. No doubt about it. I hope I've been clear about that. Um, with that said, let me say this. Though Mary was highly favored, though Mary was blessed of the Lord, though Mary was highly preferred and highly recommended, no doubt about it, and, and though we should love and, and respect and honor the uh, memory of this young lady, nonetheless, Mary was a normal woman like any other woman. Now, she wasn't like any other woman in the sense that she was a very godly and spiritual woman, and in that sense, she was very special. But as far as physically humanity, she was a woman like any other woman. Notice again there, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, notice these words, among women. So notice here we're told that she was blessed. It says, the angel says, among women. He doesn't say above women. Now, what's interesting about that is that in the book of Judges, we have a story of a very special lady named Jael, and the Bible actually says about her that she was blessed above women. You know, you say, well, why would God say that about some other lady and not allow it to be said about Mary? I, I believe that one of the reasons that God maybe did not allow that to be said of Mary is because God already knew that there's going to be so much, you know, promoting and, and worshiping and, and, and deifying of Mary that here the angel shows up and he says, you are highly favored. You are highly blessed. You are highly preferred. You are blessed. Blessed art thou, but he says, among women. Because though she was highly favored, highly blessed, no doubt about it, at the end of the day, Mary was a normal woman, like any other woman. Now, I want to begin tonight by talking about the status of Mary and Mary's status as a person because of the fact that there are many false religions who have dishonored the name of Mary by promoting her to a status that uh, is inappropriate. And I want to begin tonight just kind of under this idea of the status of Mary by dismantling some false teachings, specifically three false teachings about uh, Mary. Because like I said, there are teachings about Mary that are inappropriate, teachings that are not correct, specifically by the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, I'd like to read to you this prayer. The Roman Catholic Church has these written prayers, and there's a very famous prayer called Hail Mary. Here's what they say. They say, and I don't recommend this, I, I, don't, I think there's a lot of heresy in this prayer, but let me just read it to you. They say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Here's where it begins to go off. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Who grew up 
uh, saying that prayer, or who grew up as a Catholic praying that prayer? I know my wife, she, she grew up Catholic. She grew up praying that prayer. Many of you grew up uh, praying that prayer uh, uh, and as, a, as, a, as a Catholic. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. There's a lot of problems with that prayer. And there's some things you say, well, why would you preach about this? You know, my job as a pastor is to make sure that you know everything you need to know about the Word of God. To, to make sure you understand the doctrines, not just what we believe, but why we believe it. So let me just give you some thoughts in regards to some false teachings in regards to Mary. Because she was highly blessed. And, and she was highly favored of the Lord. But she was a woman like any other woman. Go to Matthew chapter 13 if you would. We're going to come back to Luke and work our way through the passage. But let me just quickly show you some passages. Matthew chapter 13. If you go backwards from Luke, you've got the book of Mark, then the book of Matthew. Matthew 13, first book in the New Testament. Here's the first false teaching about Mary that I'd like to dismantle. And it is the teaching of Mary as a perpetual virgin. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary is a perpetual virgin. In fact, they teach that Mary is a virgin even to this day. They say that she was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus Christ. The problem with that is that that's not what the Bible teaches. Mary was a virgin, of course. Jesus was born uh, of the virgin Mary. She was a virgin at the time, but, did she, but she did not stay a virgin. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says this, And when he, this is referring to Jesus, Jesus is an adult during his ministry, when he was coming to his own country. Remember, Mary was from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus is now returning up to Nazareth of Galilee in this passage. The Bible says when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues insomuch as they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Now notice, he's in his hometown. He's in the town where he grew up. They know his family. So Jesus goes there and he preaches and the people, the Bible says, they're astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? And this is a reference to Joseph. And we know that the answer to that is no. Joseph was his stepfather, but this is not the carpenter's son. This is the son of God. It says, is not this the carpenter's son? Notice what they said. Is not his mother called Mary? You know, because these are people that grew up with Jesus. They're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary? Notice, and his brethren... See the word brethren there? This is referring to the fact that Jesus had stepbrothers. Had brothers that were born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus' birth. That's why the Bible tells us that she gave birth to her firstborn son. Jesus was her firstborn son. Why? Because he was not her only son. Joseph did not know Mary. He knew her not until she had delivered the Lord Jesus Christ. But after she had given birth to Jesus, they did consummate the marriage. They did have a normal marriage like anybody else. And they had other children. And here we're being told, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren? Notice they list the names, James. And of course, we know that James, the half-brother of Jesus, and Joseph... These are, and Simon and Judas, these are individuals that, that actually did not believe on Christ. 
during his ministry, but after his death, burial, and resurrection, they were converted and they believed. James is the author of the book of James, and Judah is the author of the book of Jude. And here we have these uh, people saying, don't we know this guy? Don't we know his, his, uh, his, his father? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So notice, the Bible tells us he had four half-brothers. Joseph and Mary had four other sons other than Jesus. Look at verse 56. And his sisters. Why don't you notice the word sisters there? That's plural, meaning more than one. Are they not all? You see a word all there? With us? The word all indicates there's at least three of them. Because if, if it was two, it would say, are not they both with us? So they said, are, they, are not they all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So here's the point that I'm trying to make, is that the Bible tells us, and this is just one example. There's many examples throughout the Bible. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus had some half-brothers. He had some half-sisters. Mary and Joseph had children even after the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, not miraculous uh, uh, births. Uh, those were just normal births like any other uh, birth. They were all the children of Joseph and Mary. But the point is this. Mary is not a perpetual virgin. In fact, to call her a virgin now is wrong because she's not a virgin. She had children. She was a virgin at the time of the conception of Christ and the birth of Christ, but after that, she was, she was, she was already contractually married. She uh, consummated the marriage, and she had children. So there's a false teaching about Mary that she's a perpetual virgin, and that is a false teaching. Now, that's probably, you know, that, that's just a wrong teaching, but that's probably probably the, the, the least dangerous of her uh, false teachings. There's an even more dangerous one, and it is this. Go with me to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you can find the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. Find the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me give you the second false teaching about Mary. Number one, the first false teaching was that Mary is, uh, is a perpetual virgin. The second false teaching of Mary is that Mary is the mediatrix. This is what the Roman Catholic Church calls her. Mediatrix means in Catholic Mariology, it is the title mediatrix refers to the intercessory role of the this is their words, not mine, Blessed Virgin Mary, as a mediator in the saving redemption by her son Jesus Christ, and that he bestows grace through her. The word mediatrix means a woman who is a mediator, or it is the female version of a mediator. So the Roman Catholic Church teaches that uh, though salvation is through uh, Jesus Christ, that, th- uh, that uh, Mary was bestowed the grace of Christ, and she's the one that dispenses the grace of Christ, meaning she chooses who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. This is why that, uh, that, that prayer, Hail Mary, says, Holy Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Because they believe her to be the mediatrix, that she uh, is the mediator between us and Jesus, the mediator between us and God, and the fact that we, the Catholic Church would teach, must go through Mary in order to get salvation. Now you say, well, what does the Bible say? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, for there is one God. Notice these words. And one 
mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. You know, somebody says, oh, you need to go through Mary to, uh, to get to God. No, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, the mediator between us and God is the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is 100% God, 100% de- uh, deity, 100% human. He mediated on our behalf, and we go... Uh, 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 through him to God the Father, and that's our way to heaven. But Mary, as a mediatrix, is a false teaching. In fact, later on, when we get to that great passage of, of Mary's worship, you'll notice there that Mary confesses to the fact that she's a sinner in need of a Savior. Because though Mary was highly blessed and highly favored and someone that we should admire and respect, she was a sinner like anyone else. She gave birth to a Savior, the same Savior that would save her from her sins. So the first false teaching of Mary is that she's a perpetual virgin. The second one is Mary as the mediatrix. That is not true. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now let me give you the last one. This is probably, in my opinion, the worst one. You're there in 1 Timothy. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. If you go past uh, 2 Timothy, uh, past Titus, Philemon, into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, and it is this, Mary as the mother of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God. They refer to Mary as the mother of God. The problem with that, well, there's lots of problems with that. <laughs> but a major, the main problem with that is that, if, if, that God has no mother. Now you say, well, wait a minute, you know, is this just semantics? You know, isn't Jesus God? And we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, co-equal with all other members of the Godhead, co-eternal with all members of the Godhead. We believe that Jesus is God. And Mary is the mother of Jesus in the sense that she gave birth to the flesh, physical body of Jesus. But Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is not the one who created God or who created Jesus. Remember, Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, said on this earth while talking to the Pharisees, they said, that, they, they said thou art not, uh, uh, I'm going to misquote it now, but, you know, they said, you're not 50 years old. They said, have you seen Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. He said, I, I am, I have existed, I am the self-existing one since before uh, uh, Abraham was, and he was the I am even before Mary. Mary gave birth to the physical body of Jesus Christ, making her the mother of Jesus. But she's not the mother of God, though we understand Jesus is God. You say, well, I don't think it's a big deal to say that she's the mother of God. Well, here's the problem is the Bible specifically tells us that God has no mother. Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says this, For this Melchizedek. Now, I don't have time to get into all these details. I've taught on this stuff extensively. But Melchizedek is what we refer to as a theophany or a Christophany. It is, he is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how, can G, how could Jesus have appeared in the Old Testament 
uh, because he's God. Because before Abraham was, I am, is what he said. Because he existed, even as a man, he appeared on this earth on multiple occasions. And here's an example of him. It says, for this was Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. By the way, the word Salem means peace. The Bible tells us in other places that Jesus is the prince of peace. You say, how do you know that Melchizedek is Jesus? Notice, notice what the Bible says about him. Who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave the tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now notice what the Bible tells us about this Melchizedek, who's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Notice verse 3. Without father, without mother. That includes Mary. Without descent, meaning he, 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 he wasn't descended from anyone. He's always existed. Having neither, notice, beginning of days nor end of life. This is why Jesus in the book of Revelation and other passages would tell us, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Think about that. These aren't just, you know, poetic terminologies that he gives us in order for us to just kind of have these nice phrases. Jesus said, I am the root, the root meaning the beginning or the inception I am the root, in reference to David and the lineage of David, he says, I am the root, and then he says, and the offspring of David, meaning the fruit of David. Why? Because he was a son of Abraham, he was a son of David, in the flesh, uh, uh, physically, uh, came from their lineage. He's, he's, how can you be the fruit and the offspring of David? How can you come before David and be born of David? How can you come before Abraham and be born of Abraham? How can you, uh, how, how can you say that though you would refer to David as, 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 uh, as a father physically, that David referred to you as Lord? This works because Jesus is God. And Mary was the mother of the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But she's not the mother of God. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto, notice the words, the Son of God. That's why we know Melchizedek is Jesus, because he was the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So Mary is not the mother of God. God has no mother. God was not birthed. God has no beginning of days nor end of life. And again, we could get into a lot of detail here. Go back to Luke chapter 1, and I don't want to do that. We can talk about Jesus and his body before it was begotten. We can talk about Jesus and his body as the only begotten. We can talk Jesus about in, in his body and his glorified body as the first begotten. Let me just say this. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we try to like simplify everything, just make things as simple as possible. And though I believe and I understand, and, I, and, and this is one of my goals, the Bible says that I'm to be a teacher. My job is to teach you the Word of God. That's, that's why, you know, uh, we, I have you take notes. That's why we're going to have a test at the end of the uh, class tonight. That's why some of you are late on your tuition. No. <laughs> my job is to teach you, and here's what I believe a good teacher does. A good teacher takes something that is complicated and tries to make it simple. 
tries to communicate it in a way that's simple to understand. However, I think that sometimes we as Christians, we take things that are complicated and then we just become very sloppy and and simple about it and simplistic about it. And look, we need to realize that uh, uh, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. And, and, and to really understand a, a, uh, the miracle that God would become a man and would become flesh is a great mystery, the Bible tells us. But let's not get sloppy and start just making statements saying, well, Mary's the mother of God. No, no, no. Mary's the mother of Jesus. God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mary is not the mother of the Father. Mary is not the mother of the Holy Ghost. And Mary is not the mother of Jesus Christ in the sense that she created him as his, as his being. She gave birth to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should love Mary. We should uh, respect Mary. We should honor Mary. She's highly favored. But we should not make more of Mary than she is. And look, uh, I realize this is a Baptist church, and you say, well, none of us believe these things or whatever. But many of you have family members who do believe these things. And, and if, you're, if you're a soul winner, you're going to meet people that have these hang-ups, and it's good to understand, look, Mary is not the mediatrix. Jesus is the mediator. Mary's not the mother of God. She gave birth to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's the mother of the physical body of Jesus Christ, but she's not the mother of God. And Mary's not a perpetual virgin. So, number one, so we saw Mary's status as a person. Go back to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Let me give you another thought in regards to Mary from this passage. Not only do we see her status as a person, we also see Mary's supernatural conception. Notice there verse 29, Luke chapter 1 and verse 29. And when she, this is referring to Mary, saw him, of course this is the angel, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So here Gabriel tells Mary about the fact that she's going to conceive and she's going to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 32. And he, I want you to notice, Gabriel announces to Mary the birth of the coming Messiah. And he highlights some characteristics for Mary that we need to be aware of. The first thing he highlights is the deity of Christ. Notice verse 32. He shall be great. Isn't that the truth? He shall be great. Notice, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The term highest is used for God. The fact that he's called, he'll be called the Son of God. The first thing that's emphasized here is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the book of John, if you would, John chapter 5. You're there in Luke. You just go one book over to John chapter 5. And let me show this to you. Sometimes people get mixed up with these things. They say, well, well, you guys believe that Jesus is God, you know, but isn't he the son of God? So how could he be God if he's the son of God? Well, and again, we believe that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. With that said, we need to understand that we can't equate the Godhead to humanity. See, in, in, in the Godhead, there's only one God. 
That one God exists in three persons, but it's not two gods or three gods. In humanity, there's billions of us. There's many of us in humanity. So you can't equate the two necessarily, but the point that you need to understand is this. You say, well, is he God or is he the son of God? Well, think about this. I'm a human being. But when I, when my wife and I gave uh, birth, and when I say my wife and I, I mean mainly her. I was just there. When, when she gave birth to our children, they weren't lesser than us. They weren't subhuman. They were a human being in every right, just like I am. Now, they were a separate human being because you're, we're talking about the human race here. When God has a son, his son is God. But not another God. We're not polytheistic. There's only one God. In our Western way of thinking, maybe this is difficult to kind of uh, understand, but in, in, the, in the ancient world and in the world of, of the nation of Israel, this was something that was understood. You're there in John 5. Look at verse 18. Notice when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts teaching and preaching and declaring himself the Son of God, the Bible says in John 5.18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he, was, he, had, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, notice, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. See, the Jews understood that if Jesus said he was the Son of God or that God was his Father, he was equating himself or making himself equal to God. Because the phrase, the Son of the Highest, or the Son of God, which is used all throughout the New Testament, is a reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, is a, he was 100% God. The Bible says that in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we understand that uh, the deity of Jesus Christ is something that's emphasized. And I understand that we're talking about doctrine right now. And, 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 and we might, you might think like, well, these are not necessarily things that we have to talk about. Doesn't everybody know this? But here's what I've learned over the last 11 years of ministry is that a lot of people don't know a lot of things. And there are some silly things that you think, you know, should I really teach and preach a whole sermon about this? And then you just realize that there's lots of things that people don't know, especially once, you know, heresies come out and people start arguing about stupid things. And you're just like, you don't know that, you know, but I, I think sometimes we as pastors fail to teach and reteach and reteach and reteach some of these basic things. So let's go over some of these basic things. Jesus is God. He's the son of the highest. He's the son of God. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. The book of Philippians says that, that he thought it not robbery to make himself equal with God. Jesus is God in the flesh. First Timothy chapter three, if you would look at verse 16. I'm not sure if I asked you. I meant to ask you to keep your place there. First Timothy chapter three, if you find those T books again, first Timothy chapter three and verse 16. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, by the way, especially our young kids, because we have a lot of kids that, that are born in this church, praise God for it, a lot of kids that, that the only church they've ever known is this church. So I need to make sure that I'm teaching some of these doctrines to, to the kids in this church to make sure they know and they're biblically sound. Hey, kids, listen up. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, which is a testament to His deity. Jesus is God. You should know that. 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says this, and without controversy. 
meaning without dispute, without debate, without contention, without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. These are all references to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh, the Bible tells us, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So notice that the angel Gabriel tells Mary of this supernatural conception, and he begins by emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ. And he shall be great, Luke 1, 32, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only does, she emphasize, does he emphasize to her the deity of Christ, he also emphasizes to her the humanity of Christ. Listen to me. Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man. You say, how can that be? Great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. I don't know. I can't explain to you, but I can tell you that's what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus, so you say, well, why did he have to be a human? Because in order to mediate, remember, he is the mediator, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, the Bible says that our sins had separated us from God. You have God on one side, you have human beings, mankind on another side, and we were at enmity with God. We were at odds with God. We were uh, uh, separated, our sins had separated us from God. But the Bible says that in order to mediate, in order to reconcile, God became man, and that 100% God, that 100% man, Jesus Christ, was able to reconcile both God and man. Which is why the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. I want you to know, kids, Jesus was God, but Jesus was a human being as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 32, notice, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him, notice these words, the throne of his father, David. See, Mary had a lineage. Joseph had a lineage. When Jesus was born to Mary, he was given a human descendancy. He descended from uh, David, and he uh, is given here, we're told, that he will be given the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign on the, uh, over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, of course, when Jesus was born, the kingdom of Israel was non-existent. There was no king. This is a reference to the fact that during the millennial reign, Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem, and he will sit on the throne of David because he physically is a descendant of David. Remember, he's the fruit and the offspring of David. So we see the deity of Christ. We see the humanity of Christ. And all of this, all of this is... Is, uh, is brought together by what we see in verses 34 and 35, and it is the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Christ. Notice verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall these be, saying, I know not a man? We're going to come back to that verse here in a minute, but notice verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto her, You know, what's interesting is that I was uh, preparing the sermon this week, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm preaching through the book of Luke, and this is the passage we're dealing with. 
And I was thinking to myself, I, I, as a human being, I was thinking to myself, like, is this something I really need to preach to our church people? You know, you would think they would know about the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, you know. Uh, doesn't everybody know this is kind of what I was thinking to myself? Here's what's interesting. Just yesterday, just yesterday, we're out soul winning, and I talked to this man, talked to him for maybe 20 minutes. He didn't get saved. He, he heard, a very nice man, heard out the entire gospel. He, he heard the whole gospel, and, and, and he was agreeing with me and, 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 and saying, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, I understand I'm a sinner, and yeah, what, all that. And we get to the end, and I'm asking him some follow-up questions, making sure he understands. And he says to me, you know, I believe everything you said, but I just, I don't believe in the virgin birth. And I thought to myself, like, man, it's funny. I've been studying about the virgin birth all week. And, and, and I've been kind of debating in my mind, like, I wonder if people even really need this. And then it's almost like God just took me to a door where there's a guy that says, I don't believe the virgin birth. You know, just to kind of show me that, hey, this is something we need to understand and be able uh, to, to explain to people and try to help them understand. And, and he asked me almost verbatim the exact same question that Mary asked. Because look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She says, I'm a virgin, I, I know not a man. The word know there is a reference to the physical relationship of a husband and wife. The same word that's used uh, when the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Mary says, how shall this be? It's interesting because this guy, he says to me, you know, I explained to him, I said, well, you know, the Bible teaches the virgin birth. And I took him to verses about the virgin birth in, in Matthew where it says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and, and, and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And, and you know, and I, I, I took him to those verses and he, says to, he said to me, he said, how can it be? You know, and, and I was thinking to myself like, that's, that's exactly, you know, what Mary asked. She said, how shall this be? And I took him to Luke one thirty-five, Because notice, here the Bible tells us how this shall be. In verse 35, the Bible says this, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We learn here of the virgin birth. And let me just say this, and I don't want to get into too many details. Go to Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 5. You're there in Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 5. But there's a lot of false cults out there and religions that make a lot of weird things about this. For example, the Mormons teach that God the Father came down in a human form and had a physical relationship with Mary and, and that's how, you know, Jesus came about. Well, that, first of all, let me just say, that's wicked as hell. And it's heretical. And it's just a bunch of mythology, you know, a bunch of wicked, demonic mythology. No different than, than the Greeks taught about Zeus coming down and impregnating a woman and, and, and you end up with Hercules or whatever. It's a bunch of garbage. First of all, if God the Father, which is so ridiculous to even, even entertain this thought, but if he would have came down and had a physical relation with Mary, she would have no longer been a virgin. Idiots. You know, the whole point is that she was a virgin. And the Bible tells us how it happened. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Ghost, hey, by the way, the same Holy Ghost that comes upon you and me, 
to give us the ability and the power to do certain things. The same Holy Ghost that came upon Samson to give him the supernatural strength to do the feats that he did. The same Holy Ghost that came upon different men at different times. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost came upon Mary, and as a result of the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary, that she conceived in her womb uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And you say, well, I need you to explain that to me. I can't explain it to you. Again, great is the mystery of godliness. But I can tell you that's what the Bible says. You know, and this guy, he, he wasn't ready to accept that and believe that. But, you know, when he said, well, how, how did it happen? I said, well, the Bible tells us how it happened. The Holy Ghost came out. He's like, well, I don't know that I believe that. And I said, well, then you can't be saved if you don't believe what the Bible says. You have to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And, 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 and the virgin birth, you know, Oftentimes, and I've taught this in the past, but I want to make sure that people understand this. The virgin birth is critical to what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and and salvation. The virgin birth is not just a nice story we tell during Christmas. Don't put it in the same category as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. You know, somebody was like, like, oh yeah, you know, it's just this nice story, the, the virgin birth. Mary the virgin gave birth to Jesus Christ. Hey, there's a reason, everything in the Bible is in there for a reason, and there's a reason why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Are you there in Romans 5? Look at verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man, that one man is a reference to Adam. The first man. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible tells us, you know the story of Adam and Eve, the fall of Adam, the fall of Eve, they sinned, sin entered into the world, and as a result, death entered into the world, sin entered the world, and death by sin. Their fall gave them a sin nature. Their body began to die. But here's what you need to understand. When Adam and Eve began to have children, that sin nature was passed on to the rest of mankind. And again, without getting into too many details, let me just help you understand this, because these are things we need to understand as Bible-believing Christians. You know, you say, how is the sin nature passed down? It's passed down through the Father. Some of you wives, you know, you've been wondering and thinking like, my, my kids, they're bad because of their dad. You're right. <laughs> Every month, an egg cycles through the body of a woman. A woman who's of, 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 of the proper age to birth. An egg cycles through her body. And that egg by itself, never becomes life. Never becomes a human being. That egg cycles through her body and it is discarded on a monthly basis. However, if the blood of a man, if the, what the Bible calls the seed of a man, meets that egg, then we have conception, or what we call fertilization, and life is produced. See, the seed comes from the man. And that seed can be traced back all the way to Adam. The Bible, look, the Bible says that we all came from Adam. This whole race, you know, there's no race. You say, I, I you know, I, people look down at someone because they're black or they're brown or they're white. We all came from Adam. Amen. 
The, the seed goes back to one man, that one man sinned, and he passed down his sin nature. No, he didn't pass down his sin. That's another Catholic teaching that's wrong. We're not judged by original sin. We're not judged by the sin of Adam. No, Adam will be judged for his own sins. You will be judged for your own sins. Adam did not pass down his sin to you, but he did pass down his sin nature to you. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Notice, it doesn't say that sin passed upon all men, death passed upon all men. That's the sin nature. That's the result of sin. And by the way, for all have sinned. You've sinned. You say, well, why, why the virgin birth? Here's why. Because when Jesus was born, there was no human seed. There was no blood of man that brought life into the womb of Mary. There's no descendant of Adam that brought life and brought fertilization and conception into her womb. Oh no, that blood, that seed came from heaven. The Holy Ghost came upon her. The power of the highest overshadowed her. And that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Why was he called the Son of God? Because that's what he was. He wasn't the son of Adam. He wasn't the son of Joseph. He wasn't the son of of any human being. His blood came from heaven. He was born with no sin nature. And he never sinned. By the way, this is why Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15.45 is referred to as the last Adam. He's, he's like Adam in the sense that there was no one before him. There was no descendant. Look, the virgin birth is not just a fun story we tell during Christmas time. It is crucial to our belief in Lord Jesus Christ. His humanity came from the egg of Mary, but his deity came from the blood of God. The fact that there was conception, fertilization in the womb that did not involve the bloodline of Adam. Go back to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Look at verse 34. We saw, number one, Mary's status as a person. What was it? She was highly favored and blessed, no doubt about it. Nevertheless, she was a woman like any other woman. She was blessed, but she was blessed among women. She's not a perpetual virgin. She's not the mediatrix. She's dead sure not the mother of God. Then we saw Mary's supernatural conception. Her supernatural conception teaches us of the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. That Christ was the perfect God-man that could mediate between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then lastly tonight, I'd like you to notice Mary's service to the Lord. Why don't you notice her attitude? Look at verse 34. Mary is a very curious young lady. I won't highlight it tonight, but we'll look at it in other passages. She was very mindful. She thought a lot, a lot of musing. And I'll emphasize that in another week. But look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, I want to remind you, remember this morning we're looking at Zacharias and Elizabeth? Remember this morning, Zacharias asked a very similar question, but he got in a lot of trouble. Go, go, you're there in Luke chapter 1. Look, look down at verse number 18. Remember this from this morning? Luke chapter 1 and verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, this is when Gabriel appeared and announced the birth of John to Zacharias. 
where shall I know this? Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is uh, well stricken in years. In Luke one eighteen, Zacharias, he asks this question, whereby shall I know this? In Luke one thirty four, Mary asks this question, how shall this be? Very similar questions, except they got two very distinct answers. Zacharias got rebuked for his question. In verse 19, Luke 1, 19, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the days of these things be performed. Because, notice, we're told the, 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 the reason that Gabriel was upset at the question, because we see the motivation behind the question. See, uh, uh, Zacharias' motivation for the question was not curiosity, it was criticism. He was critical. Whereby shall I know this? And Gabriel says, you're asking this question, last part of verse 20, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Mary asks, how shall this be? And she's not rebuked. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 43, skip down to verse 43. Later on, we'll see this next week, Mary and Elizabeth have a little meeting together. When they meet together, Elizabeth says to Mary, Luke 1.43, And whence is this to me, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary, that the mother of my Lord should come to me, for lo, as soon as, thy, as, the, voice of thy, as, soon as uh, the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Notice what Elizabeth says to Mary, verse 45, And blessed is she, notice these words, that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. See, Zacharias, he asked, whereby shall I know this? And he got rebuked because thou believest not my words. When Mary asked, how shall this be? That wasn't critical. That was curiosity. And in fact, Elizabeth tells us, blessed is she that believed. See, when Mary was told of Gabriel that you're going to give birth to the Messiah, and she asked, she says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She wasn't doubting. In fact, she believed it. She said, if you're saying it, I believe it. If God's word says it, I believe it. What she was curious about is, how's that going to happen? Seeing I know not a man. So Gabriel says, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the high shall overshadow thee. And that holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. She asked out of curiosity. By the way, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But oftentimes the problem is not the question, it's the motive behind the question. Oftentimes the problem, people go, uh, I, I, they get upset. I can't go, you know, because people get in trouble and they get kicked out of churches and stuff. Well, I can't ask a question to the pastor. Well, you can ask the pastor a question. But maybe you ought to check yourself how you ask the question. The Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Amen. You know, maybe may the problem is not the question you ask, is the attitude behind the question. Is the criticism behind the question? Is the motivation behind the question? See, Mary had a right attitude. Zacharias was doubting. He says, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife was stricken in years. She, he was doubting. Mary wasn't doubting. She believed. She's just curious. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? By the way, you kids, you ought to learn this lesson. 
Well, I just asked a question and dad, you know, got all upset or mom got upset. Maybe it's not the question you asked. Maybe it's how you asked it. The motivation behind it. So Mary asked the question, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Gabriel gives her the answer, verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I want you to know that we should respect Mary as a Bible character, like you would Moses, like you would Paul. Oftentimes people make statements like, oh, I can't wait till I get to heaven. You know, I want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but after I see Jesus, the next person I want to see is, you know, and it's fill in their favorite Bible character, David, uh, Paul, you know, whatever. Well, we should love and respect and admire Mary as a Bible character, as a woman, that loved the Lord and was highly favored of God. But we should not put her in the same status as the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In fact, in the Bible, we have a story where a woman walks up to Jesus during his ministry and she says, you know, blessed are, and she refers to the fact that she's basically blessing Mary who gave birth to Jesus and the fact that she nursed Jesus with her body and she took care of him. Um, as, as, as a baby, and, and Jesus rebukes her and says, you know what, you should not be putting Mary in a position higher than the status which she had, which was a woman that was highly blessed of God, but a woman nonetheless. However, with that said, let me just say this, Mary's a hero. I mean, Mary's amazing. Mary not only do we see her status and her supernatural conception, but we, we see her service to the Lord. I want you to notice that Mary, though she has this curiosity, of course she's going to struggle with faith and doubt like anybody else. Not only do we see her curiosity, but we see Gabriel's confirmation. Look at verse 36. And behold, it's interesting because she just got done asking how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? He explains to her, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And then Gabriel gives her more details, verse 36. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. So it's almost like Gabriel gives her something and says, hey, let me, let me give you something to, to hang your, your faith on. Remember your cousin Elizabeth in her old age? She was called barren. God has caused her to conceive. Look at verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. So I want you to notice that Mary, she, she asked this question. She was curious. She wasn't doubting. She believed. But Gabriel must have sensed that her question, though, she did believe. Maybe there was something there that she needed some confirmation. So he says, hey, look, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And by the way, just to help you out, remember Elizabeth, the lady in old age, your cousin in old age, uh, 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 she was called barren. Hey, God has caused her to conceive. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Sometimes it's okay to have our faith confirmed. I was just telling somebody recently about the story of the, of the man in the Bible who uh, went to, to Jesus' son to be healed, the father who took Jesus' son to be healed. And Jesus said, if thou believest, you know, he can be healed. And, and he said, I believe. But then he said, help thou mine unbelief. You know, it's okay sometimes to look up to heaven and say, help thou. I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. 
Here we had Mary, who she, she did not doubt. She believed. But Gabriel says, let me give you something to, to help you with your belief. Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. He helps her faith. So you see her attitude. But then just as we end, I want you to notice verse 38. Notice her acceptance. I think verse 38, obviously all the other verses are major verses in regards to the doctrines, the beliefs about Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think verse 38 really highlights for us the person of Mary and, and, and her walk with God. Notice Luke chapter 1 verse 38. And Mary said, here's her response. She just got done. Here's a young lady who's a virgin who's married, contractually married. And now she's being told by an angel, you're going to be pregnant. I mean, I think any human being would have these thoughts cross their mind. Mary had to have known that there would be rumors about her. Mary had to have known that many would not believe her. Mary had to have known that some would think she was lying. She had to have known that people would say that Jesus was born out of wedlock, that she was a fornicator. That, that she uh, was impure. She had to have known these things. And in Luke 1 and verse 38, the Bible says, and Mary said, notice her response, she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. The word handmaid there is a ref- it means servant, a female servant. It says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She said, I, I'm in the service of God. She says, Be it unto me, according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary had to have known that her name would be dragged through the mud. But her response was, be it unto me according to thy word. And, 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 you know, and, and by the way, you don't have to turn there, but in John 8, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says to them, you do the deeds of your father. And their response to them is, we be not born of fornication. And it's almost like they're taking a jab at Jesus, like, we're not the ones born out of fornication, you are. Mary had to have known that these things would hurt, the fact that some would not believe her, would call her names, would spread rumors about her. But her response was this, be it unto me according to thy word. And by the way, that's the right response no matter what the question is. That's the right response to every question. Whatever the question, you don't even have to ask the question. If it's a question about God, God wants me to do this. God wants me to not do that. God wants me to make this sacrifice. God wants me to do this. No matter what the question is, the right response is always this, be it unto me according to thy word. That's always the right answer. In Hebrews chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you, we're we're done. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know how Jesus came to this earth? You know this. Jesus came to this earth to die. Born to die upon Calvary. Born to die upon the cross. Born to die a shameful death. Out of the camp, without the camp. He was reproached, he was mocked. 
Jesus did that for us, and we should be willing to go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. We should be willing, like Mary. See, see, some, some people, they say, what if, if I live the Christian life, if I live this life of Christianity, if I become a follower of Jesus Christ, people are going to mock me. I'm sure they mocked Mary. People are going to think I'm crazy. I'm sure they thought Mary was crazy. People are going to reproach me. I'm sure they reproached Mary. People are going to say uh, lies about me and spread rumors about me, say things that aren't true about me. I'm sure all that was true of Mary. But yet Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And that should be the answer. When the question is asked, Are you going to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him? The answer should be, Be it unto me according to thy word. Hey, young people, when the question is asked, are you going to keep yourself pure and abstain from fornication? The answer ought to be, be it unto me according to thy word. When the question is, am I going to go soul winning? Here's the answer. Be it unto me according to thy word. When the question is, am I going to live for God? Hey, here's the answer. Be it unto me according to thy word. When the question is, should I stay married to to the husband that I married? Should I stay married to the wife that I married? Here's the answer. Be it unto me according to thy word. It's the right answer to every question, no matter what the question. Mary was a wonderful young lady. Because she was mature enough to say, be it unto me according to thy word. A lot of heartache, a lot of disrespect, a lot of pain. And I wonder if this is why she was chosen to birth the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these wonderful stories. And we know they're, they're not just stories. They're historical accounts. They're reality. There really was a young girl named Mary. And she really did give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this. We thank you that Luke was used of you to document these things. We're we're not just told to believe in, in someone without being given the details of how it all came to be. But you allowed Luke to the Holy Spirit to document these things for us, to know them, to understand them. We thank you for that. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.